Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram, and also Twitter. On Twitter, it is at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces on all of those platforms. Again, the only platform where it's different is Twitter, where there is an underscore at the end. But anyway, this is the official first episode of the podcast since the regular season has begun. And I'm very excited because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff. And it was a really good week of football, too. It was a very good week. Now, fantasy football players, such as myself, it sucked. It did. It absolutely did. People that drafted running backs early, again, me, got absolutely screwed over. I had a team of Aaron Jones and Najee Harris, so that means my two running backs, my two first picks, combined for 15 carries. All right, that's really bad. I had Derek Carr as my starting quarterback in one of my leagues. He didn't play very well. And that was the same league that I had Aaron Jones and Najee Harris. So that was just very, very bad. I had Darren Waller. He performed fine. I had Mike Evans and Cortland Sutton. Overall, just a bad week for my fantasy team. A very bad week. And I'm hoping that it gets better. I really am. And I imagine most other fantasy football players, this was a really bad week for them. It looks to be the case. Anyone that run running back heavy early got screwed over, it looks like. It does. But to those lucky few that drafted Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt had a very good week, although you probably didn't start him if you drafted him. But still, this was a very, very strange week in terms of fantasy football. But in terms of real football, there was a lot of good games to watch, a lot of them. It seems like, for the most part, a lot of these games came down to the wire, really, or at least came down to, like, the last couple minutes. It was a very good week of football, if you ask me. A very good way to kick off the season. And there's so much stuff that I'm super excited to talk about on this podcast. Sadly, I can't go on, you know, a full hour and 30-minute tangent like I would like to because I'm a junior in high school. I'm on a football team, and I have a lot of homework, man. It's really difficult, and I'm recording this on a Wednesday, so I got school tomorrow. I got to get a decent amount of sleep because I also have practice. It's going to be difficult for me to get as much content out as I would like, and it's going to suck because I won't be able to get, you know, an hour long episode out of this podcast, which makes me very upset because there's so much stuff that I want to talk about. And I won't be able to post, you know, the TikTok, the Instagram post, the Twitter post. I'm not going to be able to post those as much as I would like to because I'm just so busy at the moment. But still, I'm out here uploading this podcast, recording it. It isn't going to be as long as I would like, sadly, but I think I still have a decent amount of content here and I hope that you enjoy. The first thing that I want to talk about is that Vikings game. They put the league on notice here. Winning 23-7 against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is a team that a lot of people are saying, oh, this is finally the year they make a Super Bowl run. The Packers' defense is severely underrated, all that stuff. 
all that stuff. And the Packers on paper look like a pretty damn good team. Don't get me wrong. But what the Vikings did to them this week came out of nowhere. Now, I expected it. There were a handful of people that expected it. But for the most part, to the casual fans especially, this caught people off guard. This absolutely did. If you're a Vikings fan, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. A lot. What Kevin O'Connell seems to be doing for that team, now I know it's early in his career as a head coach, but I'd be super optimistic. Justin Jefferson, he's going to, I think at least, he's going to have an MVP caliber season at the wide receiver position. I really do think that. And I've been saying he's going to have an incredible season for a while. And part of that is because of Kevin O'Connell. Kirk Cousins didn't look half bad. Dalvin Cook underperformed, and that tells you, like, this offense still has room for improvement despite absolutely torching a defense that a lot of people really like. Then defensively, that pass rush, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, oh boy. Now, Zadarius Smith, you could tell he was gassed up because he was playing his former team. His former team that he believes, you know, kind of did him dirty. But if he can continue to play at least like 80%, maybe 85% as well as he did in that Packers game, the Vikings defense is going to be a dominant unit. It's already going to be dominant, right? The secondary still kind of worries me. All right, it does. But it didn't really matter in this Packers game. It did not because Rodgers... I don't know what was going on, but he did not look good. He did not look good, Aaron Rodgers. Now, I know the offensive line and, you know, the Vikings pass rush was really getting in his face. That's not his fault. And his wide receivers were not not doing too well. I think we all saw the drop by Christian Watson down the field. And he didn't have Alan Lazard. So, like, the Packers are going to bounce back. Like, we all know this. We saw week one last year for the Green Bay Packers where they played against the Saints, a team that they were much better than, to be frank, and they kind of got crushed. But then for the rest of the season, they were on fire. I remember my reaction to that. I had Pat O'Keefe on the podcast the week after that, and we talked about it, and we were saying, like, oh, Wow, is Aaron Rodgers really going to look this bad for like the entire season? Is Jameis Winston a superstar quarterback? Because he looked like it in that game. But no, it was just a bad week for the Packers. It was just that simple. And I think that's what it was here too. The Packers just had a bad week. Plain and simple. Week one. Alan Lazard's going to come back. They're going to look better. I hope for the sake of my fantasy team that Aaron Jones does more for the team. Still, though, Vikings fans, I'd be super optimistic right now. Packers fans, I wouldn't be too worried. I wouldn't. But there was another NFC team that severely underperformed their expectations in this opening week. In fact, in the opening game. I know that this wasn't an overly recent game, but I haven't got a chance to talk about it. The Rams and Bills game. 
in which the Rams kind of got humiliated in front of millions of people because a lot of people were watching that game, considering that was the start of the season and a very good matchup overall. Now, listen, the Bills are very good. That's no secret, right? But there is no reason that a team that won the Super Bowl the year prior should be getting dominated in every facet of the game. That just shouldn't happen. There's no reason. Unless they're banged up or injured. And yeah, the Rams have a little bit of injuries here and there, but still. The Rams were getting dominated in every single facet. There was not a single aspect of the game. Or there were not many aspects of the game that I would say that the Rams did better than the Bills in. Their offensive line, especially for the Rams, looked absolutely horrendous. There is no sugarcoating it. There is no sugarcoating it. The Rams' offensive line without Andrew Whitworth, this guy, Bloom, terrible. Terrible. I mean, listen, it, it was only one game. It was only one game. They paid this guy a lot of money, though. A lot of money. Despite the fact he didn't really get many snaps in the NFL at the time. Because Whitworth. But they gave him a huge contract, so that made me think, oh, you know, they've seen him in practice. They've probably seen what they need to see. He's probably pretty good. He got violated by Von Miller in this game. The entire game, basically. He won a couple of reps early, but eventually Von Miller is just wrecking him every play. Every single one. And it wasn't just Joe Noblum. Rob Havenston didn't play very well either. Of course, Aaron Donald won his fair share of matchups, which is great for the Rams and their pass rush. But that secondary for the Rams didn't look good at all. I mean, you had safeties getting stiff-armed by a quarterback, but that being said, it is the best quarterback in the league, so eh, take it with a grain of salt. But still, they couldn't stop the Bills' passing game at all. And even the defensive line, other than Aaron Donald, didn't play that well. They just didn't. Gonna be that. It's just that simple. It really is just that simple. The Rams just simply played poorly. The only players that played well were Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. Very simple. Let me name the main player that didn't play well. That. I don't think he's going to play well for the rest of the year, in all honesty. And that's Matthew Stafford. His elbow's fucked up. You could tell. His elbow is not healthy. He is not going to be able to fire the ball all over the field like he did last year. His elbow is screwed up. You could tell. The tendonitis got to him. Now, his entire throwing motion didn't change, and he's not often missing wide open guys but still there was a fair share of plays that I saw and it was just like oh he 
he kind of moved his arm in a little bit of an awkward way, and that led to him missing this pretty easy throw. And that's only going to get worse, is the thing. Unless he decides to take time, take like a couple of weeks away from the game, he isn't going to just randomly get healthy. But that's the thing. Stafford is never going to do that because Stafford has this reputation of being this tough guy that will always play through injury, and that's fine. But in the long run, that's going to hurt the team. And the run game for the Rams. Oh, boy, the run game. It was... (laughs) The run game for the Rams was atrocious. Especially Cam Akers. Cam Akers was downright terrible. Listen... Achilles injuries, ACL injuries for running backs. Basically, nearly any injury in the leg. For the most part, are career ending. For the most part. Now, maybe you'll still play a couple more years, but you will never be the same. For the most part. There are exceptions. One of the exceptions I'm going to talk about later in this episode. Giants fans know who I'm talking about. I imagine most other NFL fans kind of knew who I was referring to when I said that. But still, for the most part, when a running back gets a major injury in their leg, yeah, it's it's not necessarily over, but they most likely won't be the same guy. So Cam Akers was terrible. And... Daryl Henderson seems to be the lead back there, and even he wasn't overly good. It's hard to tell if that's because of the offensive line or he's just not great. Cooper Cup still had a good game, but no one else did on the offensive side of the ball. On defense, Aaron Donald had a good game. No one else did, including Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is this cornerback everyone hails as the best cornerback in the league, and I think he is an elite corner, but he sure as hell did not look like it as he got burnt several times in this Bills game. Rams have a lot of stuff to clean up, basically. They're still a good team. But when you're a team that won the Super Bowl the year prior, you shouldn't have this many weaknesses in week one. Or you shouldn't look this bad in week one. Let's talk about the team that absolutely humiliated them, the Buffalo Bills. And offensively, they have other players, but they don't really need them because Josh Allen could very easily make an offense with all the worst receivers in the league still far above average. His ability to run bring defenders down, and stay up himself. I mean, you have the equivalent of if Marshawn Lynch played quarterback, then give him the arm strength of Brett Favre. And in terms of speed, let's go like, who would I say is fair? I don't want to give him too much. I don't want to say like Tyreek Hill. I don't really think that that's fair. Let's say someone that's pretty damn fast at receiver. Let's go Deshaun Jackson, right? 
So you got a quarterback that was basically made in the lab, is what I'm trying to say. The speed of Deshaun Jackson, the you know power and strength of Marshawn Lynch running the ball, the arm strength of Brett Favre. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the point is, this is a quarterback that was made in a lab. It is ridiculous, the stuff that he is able to do. And now he's, like, smart, too. Now he, he has the physical ability, and he's being really smart with it. The amount of times in this game, just in this game, that he put the ball in the literal perfect spot. Perfect spot back shoulder and he did it consistently he threw so many just undefendable balls it it was amazing it was amazing amazing to see you know how I said oh he doesn't need to have a great supporting cast just because of how good of a quarterback he is well here's the amazing thing the Bills, they know this, and they know Josh Allen could carry virtually any offense and still make them look very good. But they decide to also give him talented receivers, such as Stefan Diggs, such as Gabriel Davis, such as Isaiah McKenzie, such as Jamison Crowder, such as Dawson Knox. It is ridiculous. I don't really know how offenses are supposed to, or sorry, I don't know how defenses are supposed to stop the Bills. I I don't. They haven't punted in an NFL game in, I want to say their past three games, they haven't punted once. Keep in mind, two of those games were in the playoffs. It's not common to go a full NFL game without punting, especially against last year's Super Bowl champion. I mean, come on. Ridiculous. That's just on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, they're great too. That defensive line, Now, part of it was the Rams' offensive line just being bad, but Von Miller is still a really good edge rusher. Then they have the young Gregory Rousseau. He's only going to get better. I feel like now that he's not like the main edge threat, he's going to have more of, you know, a chance to shine. Ed Oliver in the interior. I mean, come on, what do you do? What do you do? Then the secondary. They've the best safety duo in the NFL, although one of them wasn't healthy in this game. You got Tredavious White, who also wasn't healthy, which just gets me to my next point. The Bills didn't even play their best football in this game. Despite humiliating last year's Super Bowl champion, they did not play their best football. They didn't have two of their star defensive backs. Their offense 
is just getting used to a new scheme. This is their first game with their new offensive coordinator, which, by the way, I think he has done a very good job in this game. I like how the offense is looking very methodical. It's Although they have the ability to score quickly with deep plays down the field, that's not really what they're about. That's not really what this offensive coordinator wants, and I really like that because Josh Allen can execute the scheme very well. And the Bills turned the ball over a couple of times, kept the Rams in it, and it didn't matter because their defense is just that good that the turnovers don't really matter. And the offense is so good they could just make up for the turnovers because they're just going to score the next drive. I mean, absurd how good this team is. Absurd. So I had them, I believe, as the third best team in the NFL. In my power rankings, I definitely have them at first now. How could you possibly not? After that performance, no way. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we go on break is the Broncos head coach and his downright terrible debut. Nathaniel Hackett was a head coaching candidate that, I'm not going to lie, I liked. I liked. I think that he's a or I thought he was a very good offensive mind. And after his debut with the Broncos, I completely take that back because it has been made abundantly clear that his success calling plays was completely based off Matt LaFleur preventing him from doing anything too stupid. It's made that up. It's been made abundantly clear now. Because now without that second voice, that voice that has authority over him to tell him when he's being an idiot, he's going to be an idiot a lot. And then not just is his offensive play calling bad. Just the Broncos showed most of the signs of being a bad or poorly coached NFL team. Now, what do those signs include? Fumbling the ball. Now, that's somewhat expected week one, but still, the teams with these really good head coaches, they don't fumble. Look at Steelers. Look at Titans. Look at the Patriots. These guys don't fumble the football. And when they do, it's not going to be because, oh, they just got careless with the ball. No, it's going to be because... The defender made a very, very nice punch on the ball. Teams that are well coached, they don't fumble often. Teams that aren't, fumble quite a bit. Having two fumbles in one game makes it really difficult to win. Now, you know, maybe... I could ignore that a little bit if that was the only sign, right? But it's that mixed with the 12 penalties worth 107 yards. Come on. That and how long it took for the Broncos to run a single play multiple times. The amount of times that they either got the live game or got extremely close to the live game, and it didn't look intentional. It didn't look like they were just intentionally going with a slow tempo. And then 
the play calling. Oh boy, the play calling. Let, let me just say this. So if you're a head coach, right, in the NFL, or if you're an offensive coordinator, just a play caller on offense, and your team is on the goal line with a running back like Javante Williams, who is pretty damn good. I think a lot of people would agree on that. He's a pretty damn good running back. And you want to run the ball into the end zone from the goal line. Makes sense. Would you line up under center or in shotgun formation? You know, where it's difficult to push the pile forward, that shotgun formation. You know, like running back can't really get as much momentum in order to go forward and get extra yardage. That shotgun formation, yeah, that one. Uh, Which one do you think would allow your running back to have the most success on the goal line? Going under center like a normal human being? Or being stupid, trying to get too cute, and going in shotgun formation. Which one? Uh, oh, you have common sense, and you pick the, and you pick the under center one. Good for you. You're smarter than Nathaniel Hackett. Good job. I, I mean, it makes no sense to me. Absolutely ridiculous why they did this. And they didn't just do it once. They did it twice. One of them ended in a fumble because, of course, it did. And then the other one didn't work either. And then speaking of the goal line, I mean, the team just wasn't successful at all in the red zone. The amount of red zone trips they had without doing anything other than kicking a field goal, I mean, it was absurd. If the Broncos at least convert half of those red zone trips into touchdowns instead of field goals, they don't just win this game. They win this game by two possessions at least. It was it was a terrible, terrible showing for Hackett. It really was. And the the worst of all, I didn't get to the worst of it. That last drive. That last drive to attempt to win the game with four minutes left. Horrible. T- terrible, I tell you. So the Broncos, they were losing. In this game, that was supposed to be a revenge game for Russell Wilson. A lot of people would refer to it as that. They were losing 17-16 to in the fourth quarter with four minutes left. And they're getting the ball back. So, the Broncos have all three of their timeouts. And by the time they got into Seahawks territory, there was only one minute left. And they didn't use a single one of the timeouts. Eventually, they come across a fourth and five. This is the literal play after they get into Seahawks territory. The clock is running. And they have a minute left. But for some reason, they decide to run the clock out. I thought that they were like trying to get him to jump off sides or something. I couldn't really tell. Then they call a timeout right before they get a delay of game. And the kicker walks out. Again, they are on the 46, the Seahawks 46. The kicker comes out. They're down one. And the kicker is attempting a 64-yarder, which is the second longest in NFL history, if he were to make it. So, again, they have all three of their timeouts. Why is that the play? 
your kicker, who, by the way, Brennan McManus, the Broncos kicker, never made a field goal above 60 yards in his entire NFL career. And they decide with the game on the line to attempt a 64-yarder instead of just going forward on fourth and five with their quarterback that they gave up a shit ton of picks to get and are paying a huge contract to. They decide to rely on McManus here. Not to mention the fact that they easily, easily could have had way more time on the clock if they just, you know, used some of those timeouts. It was horrendous. It was a horrendous showing. The clock management was terrible. The decision at the end of the game to go for a field goal was terrible. I I mean, again, you give up so much for a quarterback and you pay a quarterback so much, why would you not put the game on his shoulders? Instead, you decide to go for the nearly impossible with a 64-yard field goal. You're just asking for five yards. It's not a ridiculous task. Stupid. It, it, it was terrible. It, it really was just a terrible showing for Hackett. Anyway, that's all for this half of the podcast. I'm going to go on a short break, and when I return, I'm going to bring back a segment of the podcast that I used to do every week during the regular season last year, the Rapid Fire Takeaways. So I hope that you're enjoying so far, and I'll start that next segment when I return from the break. And we are back. I hope that you're enjoying so far. As promised, I'm going to return to what I know is a beloved segment to longtime listeners of the podcast, my rapid-fire takeaways. This is going to be the last segment of this episode because, again, I have school tomorrow and practice, and overall I'm just a very busy guy at the moment. But this is... This is going to be a pretty damn good segment, and it's a very good way of me being able to cover all the games without going on a very long episode, an episode that, again, I just don't have time for. I'm sorry. So the first takeaway that I want to talk about is from the Eagles and Lions games, and it's kind of me taking a victory lap here, which is something I don't really like to do, but the Eagles are absolutely not overhyped. And Hertz seems to have taken that step forward that I said that he was most likely going to take. Hertz did an amazing job, amazing job running the ball in this game. And throwing it to A.J. Brown, he really had that connection. He really did. He did a great job throwing the ball to A.J. Brown. Devonta Smith didn't really do much, but he didn't need to. Jalen Hertz, you could say what you want about him not being the greatest quarterback but he is one of the few quarterbacks that can allow this offense specifically to function. I think, well, again, he may not be the best quarterback. He's absolutely at least one of the best quarterbacks for this specific offense, for this situation. There's not many quarterbacks that have the same skill set, the ability to run the ball very well, the ability to throw this good of a deep ball the ability to place the ball as well as he does. Now, he may not be the most accurate guy, but he places the ball well, 
and his deep ball is really good. And I think that's part of the reason A.J. Brown is such a good player for this team, for Jalen Hurts specifically. And Miles Sanders also looked pretty good. And like I said, the defense is a really good unit. The defense didn't play quite up to the potential that I said that they have, but it's the first week. I'm expecting them to only get better from here. My next takeaway is not really a takeaway, but I I just want to go over every game a little bit. It is nearly impossible to take away anything from that Chicago versus 49ers game. I, I just, I don't have any opinions to say here because the game was in a fucking flood. Like the field was flooded. That wasn't like football conditions, you know? I can't say, oh, you know, Fields really surprised me in this game because he was playing in a flood. He had some nice throws, but was that actually because of him or was that because, oh, the defenders the defenders were literally walking in a puddle and it was way easier for a receiver to get wide open? And Fields had more time in the pocket because he's just lighter on his feet than these heavier defensive linemen that are heavy-footed and walking in a literal puddle of a football field, you know? It just wasn't a good showing of anything. There was nothing that you could take away here. And I initially thought that this was the 49ers' advantage because they're such a good running team for them to be playing in this flood, but really... It clearly wasn't. I I mean, it very clearly wasn't the 49ers' advantage because the 49ers are already like a better team, let alone if they were better and they actually had an advantage. Yeah, they're a better running team, but running the ball didn't work well because, again, players were playing in a literal giant puddle. And they fumbled a couple of times because, again, they were playing in a puddle. There's just nothing that you could take away here. It wasn't like, I don't want to say it wasn't like a real football game, but it wasn't a traditional enough one. It was too far off of the football that we're used to, the football that they're going to be playing for the rest of the season for me to actually look at this and be like, damn, this team really showed me this, and this team really showed me this. Like, there's nothing to take away. I know that that's not really a takeaway, but it's kind of the opposite. No, honestly, I just wanted to talk about that game at least a little bit. My next takeaway, and it's one that's extremely popular after that very interesting, to say the least, AFC North showdown. The Steelers' offense is terrible. Like, like it's horrible, horrendous, might be the worst in the league. I mean... You force, what, they forced six, five turnovers? I want to say it's five. They forced five turnovers. The Steelers didn't turn the ball over once, yet they were so bad at just offense overall that the game still went into overtime, and they only put up 20 points. After five turnovers, five turnovers. And they were 
only able to get 20. I know the Bengals have a good defense. I get that. But 20 points when you force five turnovers and the game went into overtime. The game went into overtime because you couldn't put them away despite the fact you forced five turnovers. The Steelers got bailed out repeatedly by their defense, which is great. The Steelers' defense is a great unit, but their offense is terrible, horrendous. And it's at a point now where you have to blame Matt Canada. You have to. Because all this talk like, oh, now that Big Ben's gone, it's going to look better. Sure as hell doesn't look better. It looks just as bad, if not worse. And Big Ben was a literal husk last year. Najee didn't get the ball much, which pisses me off because of my fantasy team, but even when he did get the ball, he couldn't do anything because the Steelers' offensive line is so trash. And Trubisky just isn't a very good quarterback. The wide receivers didn't really get much done, and it's hard to tell if that's based if that's because of Trubisky or because the receivers aren't that good. I think it's the first one. But I, I need to watch the film more of that one. Maybe the receivers played a bad game. Maybe the Bengals secondary played very well. The Bengals are a good defense, don't get me wrong, but there's no excuse for putting up 20 points in four quarters when you force five turnovers. It's just a terrible outing. I, I mean, it was horrendous. Matt Canada needs to do something to make this offense competent because not every day you get five turnovers. How are they going to win games when they only force one turnovers? Maybe don't force any turnover. Then what? I don't even know if this team can win games if they force two turnovers. It's just terrible. It's a really, really bad offense. The sooner Pickett gets out there, the better. And I don't even love Pickett. I just think it's very clear Trubisky isn't doing much for the offense. Now, on the other side of that game, the Bengals are starting off the season very slow, at least offensively, especially Joe Burrow. That is 90% a comment about Joe Burrow and how he played. I mean, he was just feeding it to defenders left and right. I don't really know what he saw. Again, I want to look at the old 22 for this game much more than I already have. Like... You have all these great receivers. The Steelers' secondary really isn't that good, yet he was getting obliterated. The offensive line, too, played very poorly. The offensive line did have a very bad game, and that's part of the reason that Burrow threw so many picks, but he should be used to having bad offensive line play, right? Because of how bad the offensive line was last year, and it's only better now. So there really isn't an excuse, you know? You're Joe Burrow. You're supposed to be this elite quarterback, play like it. I'm not saying that he is an elite quarterback, but he he didn't play like it. And if the Bengals want to make it far, they need to play up to that Super Bowl caliber team they were last year. Joe Mixon played very well, though. You got to give him the credit. Now to the Patriots and Dolphins game. The Patriots just... Don't seem to have a plan offensively. They have no identity whatsoever. I mean, I like Mac Jones. 
Offensive line could be worse. Who's like their main weapon? Do they have a main weapon? Do they need one? What are they trying to do offensively? What's their scheme? What are they trying to expose? There's nothing. There's no plan. It is clear. The defense, fine. Belichick got it. But I look at the Patriots offense and I'm just like, okay, you have players, not great players, but these are, in fact, football players on the field. Now what? What's your plan? What are you trying to do with this player individually? What is, you know, the big thing he adds to the offense? I I look at all these players and I'm just like, I guess they're role players because that's what the Patriots are always about, but it's hard to tell what anyone's role is, you know? I mean, I, I look at this offense. There's a reason it couldn't really do much in this game against the Dolphins, and it's not because the Dolphins played some great defense. It was just Patriots kind of shot themselves in the foot repeatedly. Max Jones is good, but there's nothing. And it's not like there's no talent. It is no talent, no direction, no seemingly no scheme, no plan. You know, I mean, this is what happens when you just can't make a decision at the offensive coordinator spot. This is what it looks like. I had blind confidence the entire offseason just because Belichick is there. That blind confidence is out. I need to see something from this offense. I need to see it soon. Or else I am going to absolutely panic. And I imagine Patriots fans are too. Now to the Browns game against the Panthers. The Browns found a way to fully utilize both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And they're using this to make up for the lackluster quarterback play that they're having at the moment with Deshaun Watson gone. Kareem Hunt has his role, right? He's the receiving guy. But we haven't really, you know, seen that much in his career with the Browns at least. We're finally starting to. And then he also is the red zone guy, which is fine. You got Chubb as like the workhorse. Then all the like specialty plays, you know, receptions, goal line situations. That's where they pull out Kareem Hunt. And he has the talent to do this. That's the thing. Now, Chubb, I think, would be the better, you know, goal line guy. But Hunt is definitely a good one. You know, it doesn't matter how bad your quarterback play is. If you have two running backs that you're very confident in with a great offensive line blocking for them, because then you don't need to really rely on the quarterback except for, you know, the very few situations that you want to throw the ball. But if you're so good at running the ball, you don't really have a need to throw the ball. So you could just do it when you feel somewhat comfortable with it. You're never going to be forced to because you have two running backs that won't get tired because you're switching them out. They specialize in two different things. And, well, they're just both really good. And, again, with the good offensive line in front of them, this running game, I don't want to say it's unstoppable, but it is, it is insanely efficient. And this insane efficiency, again, makes it so exposing Jacoby Brissett becomes 10 times more difficult because he's 
throwing the ball way less. So, yeah, you know, Brissett may not be a very good quarterback, but you're not going to have many opportunities to expose him for that because they're going to be running the ball so much. And why are they able to run the ball so much? Because they're able to bring out, they're able to swap out one insanely good running back for another one the second the first one gets hired. It's a very good strategy until, you know, they play against a very good team. Then it may not work well. But until they play against, like, the Baltimore Ravens of the world, the I, at least I think the Cincinnati Bengals are one of those teams, until they play against, like, those really good football teams, they'll be able to get away with this, even with Brissett at quarterback. Then once Watson's there, they'll have two really good running backs and a very good quarterback on top of it. It's going to be really scary. Now, speaking of quarterback play, and specifically bad quarterback play, Matt Ryan, what was that? What was that performance you did there? That, that was extremely disappointing for anyone who had high hopes for the Colts this year. Now, it's only week one, but it is extremely clear that Matt Ryan has not settled onto the Colts yet and into the scheme yet. It is abundantly clear. I, when I, when I watched this game, right, I, I couldn't help but notice Ryan, he didn't look like a deer in the headlights, but a lot of the time it didn't really look like he knew where to put the ball. And again, I think that's just, you know, he is on a new offense. He's not ready yet. Did they just undermine the Texans here or what? Now I get it. Oh, Jonathan Taylor is a great great running back, but the Colts want to make it far. Okay? If they want to make it far, they have to be able to throw the ball. They tied to the Texans, dude. Tied to the Texans. And that was because when they tried to throw the ball, it just didn't go well. Matt Ryan needs to step it up. Just that simple. Plain and simple. Yeah, the receiver core isn't great. Cool. They brought you in for a reason. Next takeaway, Michael Thomas is still amazing, amazing. And now we're going to be able to see a different side of him because they have a quarterback that could expand the field. Now, instead of just seeing these repeated in-breaking routes that we saw with him and Drew Brees, now he's going to be able to run the full route tree. That's scary. That is scary. What Michael Thomas did in week one against the Falcons, against A.J. Terrell, who I consider the best cornerback in the NFL, what Michael Thomas did, I think solidifies him as still that guy, still that amazing receiver he was in 2019. And if he really continues to be that superb talent, he's going to be the best receiver in the league again. Uh, You heard it here first. His route running, his ability to adapt to the ball while it's in the air, his hands, everything about him, so good. He's electric. Electric, I tell you. Do not be surprised if he ends up being in the conversation for best wide receiver in the NFL. Don't be surprised. And then the rest of that receiver core, too. Pretty damn good. Jarvis Landry looked good. 
Olave, we didn't see him much, but I still think he's a very good talent. I think the only thing really holding him back is James Winston. And he didn't play too bad either. Now, to the Ravens and their wide receiver situation, they really just don't have a wide receiver one. I think it's clear. Lamar Jackson doesn't have a favorite target other than Mark Andrews. All the receivers are basically the same to him. I love Rashad Bateman. I think he's the best wide receiver there. Clearly, Lamar Jackson thinks otherwise. I don't think there's like a go-to guy in the receiving core. I think they view all of them as like guys that may get open, but they're not quite super reliable. And, you know, I would like for every team to have, you know, some consistent guy. And I bet the Ravens would like to have a guy that they know will get open consistently. They just don't have that, and they're going to have to live with it. And it became very clear in this Jets game. Very clear. Whether it was Devin Duvernay, Rashad Bayman, it's fine to not have a great receiver, but it does make things harder. It does. Especially when you just don't really know who your best guy is, and it doesn't seem like they do. I think Bateman's their best, but again, doesn't seem like Lamar Jackson does. Now, instead of talking about a bad receiver core, let's go to a positive note with Washington. Their receiver core, I think, is one of the best in the league, actually. Or at least they looked like it in this week. Jahan Dotson, maybe I gave, gave him a little bit too much slander, all right? I do still think he's exclusive to a slot role, but, you know, he made some plays in the red zone, man. Curtis Samuel, I really like as a gadget guy, everything about him, you know, He'll never be that dominant outside threat, but hey, you could do a couple of nice gadget plays with him. He's a nice player after the catch. Pretty talented. And then, of course, McLaurin. We all know how good this guy is. Wentz, I think, you know, it's a roller coaster to watch him play every week, but it's also really fun. You know, it's a roller coaster filled with like panic and everything, but along with that, you get some really fun parts of it. With this insane inconsistency comes a lot of bumps on this ride. But at least he has some fun weapons with him. I think Washington is going to be one of the more fun teams to watch in the entire NFL because the receiver core is so nice, because that defensive line should be really good, because Carson Wentz will absolutely fumble the bag one play but then make up for it with some ridiculous throws the next. The receiver core is really nice, though. Jahan Dotson made a very large impact week one. Curtis Samuel, again, there's some stuff to like here. Uh, I'm not doing a takeaway for the Vikings and Packers game. I'm also not doing one for the Rams and Bills game, in case that isn't clear, because I talked about those games in general. I think Saquon is officially back. Congratulations, he's one of the few running backs ever to recover from an ACL tear successfully. Good for him. The burst is very clear there. I know it's only been one week, but he looks like he used to look in that rookie year. Great to hear for Giants fans. I live in New York, so I'm not going to hear the end of this, and I'm glad because I love watching Saquon. When the Giants are good, that's good for football because they are a big market team, especially when they have a big player like Saquon. Superb talent over here. 
he's definitely the key player for the Giants' success, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Super interested to see him hopefully keep this up. I mean, his ability to cut, the, the entire offense just revolves around him. It is all about him. Saquon, congratulations. Love to have you back in the league. Uh, In the Raiders game, Carr is off to an extremely slow start, at least in terms of decision-making, right? Devontae had a good game. Darren Waller had a good game in his own right, but Carr had some bad plays. You know, all the picks were his fault. And then there was also one play where Darren Waller was going across the middle and Derek Carr nearly threw a pick to Derwin James because he threw it behind him. And again, Waller was pretty wide open across the middle. That was just a stupid play. Carr kind of sold this game for them, okay? Really that simple. Listen, I think Carr, I hope Carr can bounce back because I think he's a good quarterback, but at least this game specifically, the decision-making was very far off. Uh, Another AFC West team, the Chiefs are completely fine without Tyreek Hill. I don't know why the Cardinals kept blitzing Mahomes. That was, that was stupid, terrible decision-making. I mean, we know that Mahomes... His kryptonite is the opposite. I don't know why they would repeatedly blitz him. He's shown that he could expose that. So it was easy work for him. But still, I mean, it's exactly what I said it would be with the Chiefs offense. What they lost in terms of quality of one receiver they meant up for in quantity. They have multiple weapons instead of just one superstar. And that's great. And it works really well. Uh, this one's very simple. The Buccaneers pass rush is absolutely devastating. They harassed Dak Prescott all the game. I mean, the Buccaneers offense didn't even play overly well. It was really just about that defense and how much they dominated. And then my final takeaway, again, it's rapid fire takeaways. I'm getting out quick. Geno Smith is like actually that guy. He played really well in the game against the Broncos. DK Metcalf is going to be the key player for that offense. And Geno Smith, I I think, hey, he might win more than just one year for for the Seahawks. He might be like their actual franchise guy. I mean, if he continues to play like that, I'm overreacting week one, I know. But if he continues to play like this, that was one very good performance. Hopefully he can keep it up. Anyway, that's it for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I'm sorry that at the end I kind of rust things, but it's almost 11 o'clock where I live. And again, I have school tomorrow, so I'm trying to go to sleep decently early. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed. I'm Patrick Cipher. If you want more or more of my content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram or on Twitter at No Huddle NFL underscore. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. And I'll see you next week.